0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Establishing Shot. Here at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, this is our first episode of 2021. Uh, it's been a while since we've we've gotten together. Uh, COVID has has challenged us in many ways, but uh, specifically being in a room together, recording, and uh, since uh, we're uh, looking at. Uh, process of vaccination right now which is very exciting it's opening up uh, opportunities for us to get our podcast up and get running again so uh, we're glad to be back uh, my name is Ted Barron I am the executive director at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center uh, I am joined by my esteemed colleague uh, Ricky Herbst the cinema program director hello Ricky Hey, hey 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 how are you feeling great no cough. <laughs> no, no cough. How's your sense of smell?
1: Um <laughs> great, great. Okay. Um, I did I, during CoVID, I did keep a aromatic candle next to my bed. <laughs> so that was like a tick that I developed. was like, oh, does this smell like lemon still? <laughs> so um, yep, still still smelling great 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 and we are very fortunate to
0: have uh, a very special guest a returning guest yes uh, the one and only chris becker uh, chris is a faculty member in the department of film television and theater hello chris
2: hello great to see you too
0: you too and to how be, like, your in a room
2: with people that's just i know it's <laughs> exciting weird, isn't it? <laughs> let alone being recorded that's a whole other level of thing but and we actually took our masks off
0: which you know we're, we hope we are not breaking any rules but uh, we are you know we've all gotten our two shots uh, so Things are looking at, things are looking up, so we're feeling we're feeling pretty good. Um, so we are going to uh, for for this is a kind of a special edition of of establishing shot um, because we're we're a little partly because we're a little out of practice, but also uh, because we thought uh, it would be fun to focus on uh, the Oscars this year uh, because it's such an unusual year for the Oscars. And kind of talk through just the dynamics, so we don't have our kind of here's what's coming to the Browning Cinema uh, recap because there ain't a lot coming to the Browning <laughs> Cinema right now. <laughs> there's an econ class in there on Thursday. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yep, yep. I showed blowout for my class the, the last night, which which was a lot of fun. But um, uh, yeah, there's there's basically our our all of our spaces have been turned into classrooms, uh, and since I teach, I get to still teach in the space, but. Uh, but not much else is happening, um, and um, and nor will we be doing our top our our uh, trademark top three this week. So we're gonna we're gonna put that on pause for for now, uh, and we're just gonna do kind of a, a freewheeling deep dive into kind of Oscar season as we're heading into the Oscars. Oscar season being much longer than it usually is, uh, and just weirder in so many ways. We thought it would be kind of fun to. To take it up and kind of see see what people are how people are even making sense of the Oscars this year. Um, so you know, one thing that stands out to me is I used to really like when the Oscars were scheduled in um, late March uh, back in back in the good old days. And I forget when the switch was made to move it into February. Maybe it must have been sometime in the. You know, maybe mid two thousands, or maybe
1: it's maybe it's earlier than that. Like, I think early two thousands is when they made the move, if I remember correctly. Because I think I was an undergrad. Okay, so
0: yeah, so because I, I always associated it with with kind of the beginning of spring, and you know, just, there, there's like a sensory experience I would associate with the Oscars of it. You know, you're, when, once the Oscars happen, you're you're deep into spring and weather's getting better, and um, you know, and things are changing. And
1: uh, right, the third Monday in March or whenever they were uh, overlapped with a big track meet at the University of South Dakota when I was in (laughs) high school. But a cool thing that my parents let me do was they would record the Oscars and then let me stay home from school on Tuesday Mm. to avoid like spoilers and let me watch it.
2: Wow, that's incredible parenting. (laughs) They were really good
1: at uh, school. Doesn't matter as much as you getting to watch stuff and not having it be spoiled. So yeah. So when it moved to Sunday, Mm -hmm. I was like, "Well, Grant, I wasn't really. I'm not competing at track uh, events at a very high level anymore. (laughs) Um, But uh, I like the move just because it doesn't invade the work week in the same way. Yeah, it kind of made it easier for um, Oscar parties, I think, if you were
0: doing like a, you know, because you could do like a Sunday afternoon into the evening and, you know, however many people would stick around till the bitter end.
2: Right. (laughs) It's always
0: kind of a, it it was an endurance test.
2: And we've done that for years now for our film society. So we have a Sunday night film society course. and. The you know Oscars on Sunday. That's always a spring screening, and then that also allows me across the semester to put you know to um, to screen some Oscar films that, for instance, ND Cinema might not be showing, or to do tie-ins. So if there's an Oscar-nominated director, we can watch a past film by that director. So right. um, that's always fun. And then the the group experience. And the Browning Cinema isn't the most fantastic place to have a nice, loud, boisterous experience. Right, it's It's supposed to be dead. Yes, it's (laughs) kind of, it's dead. But uh, those moments where something does pop that are really incredible, because you really feel it. And so Mm -hmm. I remember um, uh, the, you know, of course, obviously the La La Land Moonlight, you know, one instantly oh, yeah. comes to mind.
1: I was there for that. That's I was right. there, too. We were all right <laughs> next yeah. to one another.
2: <laughs> but the other one, when the artist won, and we had, um, and I'll, I'll drop his name since he's still around on campus. Javi Zubazaretta was there, mm-hmm. and he was really rooting that film and for that film and even had, like, a French flag. And so it won, <laughs> and he was, like, running around the theater waving his flag. And so that That's amazing. that stood out, too. <laughs> Shout out to Javi. <laughs>
1: I'm impressed that anyone had that much energy for the artist.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was, I guess, just, you know, get, go French or something like that. I, I'm it was sure like it, it
0: had its moment where people were just kind of like deep into it and in rooting for it. I mean, I can remember when, uh, what's the actor's name? Um, I'm forgetting his name.
1: Desjardins.
0: Desjardins. Uh, that when he was on, he showed up on Saturday Night Live and, and like a cameo. In, in some sketch that they did. And it's a really like spirited sketch where they're, they're in a French cafe and it was like, that guy's great. That guy deserves to win the Oscar. And then he won. And it was <laughs> like, yeah, like let it win everything. Um, and now, and like, now nobody talks about the artist. It's kind of been forgotten. No,
1: Well, no one's running around with like an American or an Iranian flag for Argo or something. <laughs> no, right? no,
0: no, it's not quite the same, but those but,
1: early but, 2010s were kind of a, uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have a
0: spate. Um, but it's, but it's, so, and so back to the scheduling thing. So, you know, so the Oscars moved into February and then was it this last year was kind of when they, they seemed to kind of screw it up where they moved it really early into February. Mm-hmm. Um, if we remember, you know, the last time we got to watch the Oscars, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, like one of the last social gatherings that I hosted at my house was, uh, you know, people having people over to watch the Oscars in February of 2020, uh, when Parasite won Best Picture and Best Director, which was you know that was a good a, good, a good end pop result. Moment, yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was a, that was a good Oscars for that for that end result. Um, but uh, but it was but that they moved it so much earlier. So your point, Chris, about you know trying to time it time uh, the Film Society series where you could you know watch things in advance. It was really hard to do that year.
2: Yeah,
0: um, because because things were so things were so early in the schedule. Um, and now this year. Uh, <laughs> all
2: the time in the world,
0: we've got all like We've got an Oscar season that's se- that on the one hand has seemed interminable, but on on the other hand, like usually the issue with it kind of going on for too long is you get so sick of it. On the other on the other hand, I feel like it's become invisible because yeah. you know it's you know the Oscars are going to be happening. Um, you, know, by the, you know, we're recording this in, in uh, mid April. It's going to be at the end of the month, and um, people just aren't. It's it, my perception is that people aren't really paying any attention this year.
2: Well, even my husband, he's a huge Oscars buff. You give him a year and a category, at least mm-hmm. the major ones, and he'll tell you who won. Like, he follows mm-hmm. it that closely. And so I told him I was doing this podcast. He's like, when are the Oscars again? Like, he doesn't <laughs> even know when they are right. this year.
0: And yeah, there's just – there's it's just – it's fallen off. So, I mean, and they've had this – I mean, I, and I didn't, you know, kind of count the days or whatever. But it seems like the time from when the nominations were announced to the actual ceremony – is that, that's been extended, maybe? I don't know. It's confusing how it's all kind of worked this year. Um, well, you know, the one thing is they clearly, they extended the elig- eligibility window because of, you know, things not being able to be released in theaters, right? So there were films that could go theatrical. I mean, there were things being released in January and February that, I guess, were eligible this year, whereas that would have been again.
2: Yeah, like The Father last year. Is, is an example. Like just came out on, I think it had a thea- like a brief theatrical run and then um, premium VOD in late March. And okay. that, you know, obviously the ceremony wouldn't have been over. But, yeah, um. yeah. Um, and
0: the fact that they're, you know, they've made the exception for things not be you know, for, uh, you know, not having to be theatrical, which you can understand with COVID, curious whether that holds going mm-hmm. forward, if that's going to now be. Kind of a new rule that
1: they. Or in December twenty one, are we going to have December of this year? Are we going to have a major like deluge of mm. prestige pictures? we like, well, we got a big Oscar oh. dump. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> the other thing I was looking up is the voting window this year is it's insanely short. Well, mm. um, it just seems short. It's it opens uh, on April fifteenth and then closes on April twentieth, mm. which you know that does you know for for Hollywood people, that doesn't seem like a lot of time to get your, to get your votes in. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what that, I mean, maybe that's typical, but I didn't, I wasn't able to sort of find out whether, you know, whether they typically have that much time to, to cast ballots. For
2: the well, and the other part of, I assume the usual routine for them of voting isn't just watching things. It's also having conversations with people about, and like narratives take hold and you yeah. have, um, I was listening to another podcast, KCRW is the business. Mm-hmm. And, um, their their awards you know guy was talking about how as a journalist he's spent this whole time at home and he's not even able to talk to the people he's he's covering really And he talks about usually there's events and there's lunches and you get a sense of what members are thinking and what they're watching. And then um, they're not having these conversations with each other either. And a lot of those conversations guide how they're thinking about films or what seems to be the front runner or what they're rooting for because that's what either everyone else wants or that's the underdog to root for. Mm -hmm. So none of those conversations are really happening. None of those narratives take root. And so that's I think another part of that invisibility, like even in the Academy themselves, they're not really having those kind of conversations.
0: Yeah. I just, I just noticed today that, um, so today we're recording, uh, on April 13th, the, the voting begins on April 15th. And, um, there, there's a story in the LA times today about the controversy around nomad land. Um, and it seems like, Uh well, interestingly that it, it, drops today. Which is two days before the voting happen. You know, it's supposed to happen. So trying to do something to kind of derail its inevitability, which is kind of where it's you know the position it seems to be in, uh, you know, heading into the Oscars this year. But but yeah, starting to create you know all those controversies that typically pop up about you know different nominees.
1: It's funny how many. I was gonna make a joke about. Well, I bet it's this other best picture nominee. I was like, "Oh, well, which one's about subterfuge?" I'm like, "Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Judas and the Black Messiah, and then there's Mang, and then there's Child of the Chicago Seven." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
0: um, so it's interesting how that's all all kind of playing out. Um, I mean, do we, with all of these new kind of rules in place, is there a, do we have a sense that you know the films that have been nominated is it has it kind of changed? Um, you know the dynamics around that process. I mean, do we feel like there's it's like a different group of films that are being considered this year than in typical years, or are we, or are we looking at kind of the usual Oscar fair in terms of what's kind of risen to the top? I mean, Nomadland as a frontrunner seems kind of unlikely. I, w- I would say. I mean, as a you know something that would would gain that much momentum, it would seem to be kind of the outsider in in a typical year, but this year it just seems to be kind of front and center. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, in looking at them, for me, there's the what's missing. I mean, this this list to me reads much more like an independent spirit awards yeah. like kind of rundown. Uh you're missing like a sparkly epic. Yeah. Um uh so there's no what was, well, I guess Avatar Two wasn't gonna be <laughs> this year, right? Uh but there's no there's no big budget uh even like a black panther where it's like oh we're going to use this in order to bring people in in an audience and something that the public can get behind like the spot when they expanded it so that re-expanded it so that the dark knight kind of position could be filled with something people cared about it that kind of went empty this year it seems
2: well and there was was it last year or the year before they had talked about um, floated the idea of doing a like mo- best popular picture yes notion like they'd have been screwed this year if they'd done that because there's not enough of those examples to go around that have really been released
0: right are they just gonna go try to try to go through the Warner Brothers HBO Max <laughs> slate which is you know that somebody I, I saw a tweet about that and somebody said well maybe they maybe Warner Brothers made this deal with HBO you know with putting everything on HBO Max because they know the stuff is just not very good. Yeah. That's coming out that makes sense. The next yeah. few months. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to think of, you know, what films we were waiting for this year that didn't ultimately get released that probably would have been in the mix and, you know, the ones that kind of stood out were, you know, Wes Anderson's new film, mm-hmm. The French Dispatch, was supposed to be a summer release, I think, last year,
1: which would um, have been the kind of cake fun movie yeah. that is also missing in this.
0: but And also, you know, and, and I would have expected, you know, he might have a good shot at it because he's, you know, he's he's reached that point where he's, you know, assuming that it, it hit the critical consensus that he's been nominated, you know, he's been nominated enough times that maybe now he'd, he'd get the recognition. Um, the Spielberg's version of West Side Story was supposed to be one of the big films last year. Um, supposedly In the Heights actually has some, is, is I, from early word, I've heard about it. It's supposed to be good, but. But you know who knows
2: yeah and those are the two I would point to in the heights and West Side story is that potential like real cloud crowd pleaser that mm-hmm. just your average casual movie goer would have would have probably liked and and would have you know been interested in seeing honored and so that's the right. the thing you're not going to have there
0: well and if they can make them topical you know if they're mm-hmm. if, you know if they're kind of if you know they're both I mean they're both Broadway musicals adaptations of Broadway musicals although I, I assume Spielberg's Drawing more from the film <laughs> than he is than he is from the the original show, but you know the idea is I think you know releasing those particular musicals at this time because of you know the content that they bring that they can you know they can speak to diversity questions in a way that um, would be relevant and, and you know that's something where the academy can say oh well you know we're going to recognize these films because you know, they touch on these issues in ways that we think are important. Mm. Uh,
1: and Hamilton, a musical, like for, I mean, swapped, right? It was supposed to be twenty twenty one. It gets moved to twenty twenty, and people are like, well, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so Was
0: Hamilton supposed to go to theaters? Was the was the 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 version that's on Disney Plus was that originally supposed to go to theaters? I, I believe so. so. Yeah. Was that the yep. okay?
1: Mm-hmm. But it makes sense to just go, you know, to use it as, you know, whatever kind of um trinket to get people to disney plus mm-hmm. so in that it kind of loses i mean it was already kind of questionably a movie so then it becomes oh this is just kind of tv-ish you know yeah they don't so seem it, to it, know so what it's to, not to do not in, in this mix
0: yeah they don't it does it didn't get i mean i don't know if it was eligible to get nominated but Got
1: it a didn't. golden globe nomination right. and everyone was like what's up with that yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, globe's
1: gonna globe. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the other.
0: So then you know that sort of goes to the question of you know what do we even think um, it's gonna look the Oscars gonna look like this year because there's you know the other thing is building up to the Oscars is you usually have some press about you know who's gonna I mean the host thing is has become kind of a a hot potato nobody wants to kind of deal with but um, the uh, so there's from what I've read there's no host again this year.
2: Yeah, they just yesterday released a uh, like some PR and uh, they've billed the presenters as an ensemble cast. They've made this as if it's and the, and the poster for it looks like a movie poster with like a list of of star names. Okay, so I think that's the key thing they're going to rely on star star power, which of course they always do, but I think right. even more heavily than before. And just so they'll have the usual um, previous four acting Oscar winners: Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, Brad Pitt, and Laura Dern. But then also, and I'll just read the names and you can tell me if this is star power, or excitement, or what. <laughs> um, so uh, so Bong Joon Ho as well, Parasite uh, director. And then uh, Angela Bassett, Halle Berry, Don Cheadle, Brian Cranston, Harrison Ford, Regina King, Marley Matlin, Rita Moreno, Reese Witherspoon, and Zendaya. That's that's the list.
0: Hmm. Hmm. How did Marley Matlin sneak in? There? Like what she been to? Yeah, <laughs> she huh. did. Win. And, and I
2: love Brian Cranston, and I know he's yeah. he's done movies, but like. He's gonna be like, oh, sweet, Brian Cranston. Right, <laughs> that's that's naive, really hit that glamour. eighteen to
1: twenty-two demo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I take it back. Zendaya is doing work there, mm. but that's a funny list. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: well, and is it gonna be so? Then you know the other. So the question, I guess, that comes to mind is, you know, what's it even gonna look like? Because they've said. Um, so I, I did. I read something about it today, which said that they're going to have the performances at the Kodak Theater. And then, which I don't know, like what, I guess maybe they perform the songs at the Kodak Theater. But then the actual ceremony is at Union Station, LA's Union Station, which I guess they've been using for, for weddings and other kind of big events. <laughs>
2: Um, and so, I hope they don't put anything up. Right? It's just like standing <laughs> exactly, there exactly, <laughs> while people walk yeah. past. Well, I just and I just
0: and I I just watched Blowout in a class, and you know, there's a, which is Brian De Palma's film from 1981, and there's the, a lot. of The climactic scenes are set at the sort of scuzzy train station. <laughs> and I was like, they should use that. They should well, use it's
2: Soderbergh is one of the producers, right? Steven Soderbergh is one the, of the for the broadcast. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that could make it interesting. So, and that's what I thought. Like, you know, let's let's go full so. so then there's a lot of options there.
0: We want Kafka so. Sort of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something where he starts to, or uh, schizopolis, you know, kind of where he goes a little <laughs> goes a little off the rails.
1: But the as for what it will look like, I assume, I mean, the the Grammys and the Emmys and I've watched them because I've nothing else to do home. with my life <laughs> and they are not fulfilling. Like I play black ga- backgammon on my phone and like, yeah. you know. Um, but they, there's a very like homogenous feel to them and how they interact with zoom. And I don't know that like Oscars will be slightly nicer. Like the transitions will just look smoother, but I assume we're going to be running into that same kind of, yeah. Milk toast style. And that, and I mean, they have, that's the,
0: I think that's their challenge is that there have been, has there been a successful awards
2: show yet? Well, the Grammys was a successful TV show, at least, as far as, you know, the ratings were in the toilet along with everything else. But as far as feedback and, like, Twitter loving it and the mm-hmm. reviews afterward, but it was because it was, a, it was a concert. It wasn't an award show. It right. was, like, a string of performances. And usually the Grammys, and I think maybe it was also damning with faint praise or whatever, because usually the Grammys, Grammys show is awful and it's, like, slow and boring mm-hmm. and tedious. And this, they kind of kept all the... Um, the musical bits going at a good clip, and so maybe that it felt refreshing because most of the other ones this year have been a disaster. Like the Globes was a complete disaster. Yeah. So I think it was like, oh, this isn't a disaster. That's good. <laughs> so right.
0: Yeah. Well, and maybe that's how they're trying to separate out the you know they they can have the which is kind of what the Grammys did right they had the because they had the um they had the they gave out the awards in that sort of open air space that was outside of whatever venue they typically do it in and um and then the performances were inside i was actually i was thinking you know the, what i liked about the grammys uh is when they started when they did the opening uh performances um they it reminded me of uh, jules holland's uh tv show where he brings together uh later with jules holland where he has a group of like five musicians on stage together because they're and they're in the round and they're mm-hmm. all kind of you know applauding for each other and uh, responding to each other, um, it was it. it kind of had that cool setup, and just the energy that, that you get from something like that, where the performers are together in the room. Um, that kind of that took away the need for an audience to 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 fill that space, because I think that's the that's part of the issue is they you can't put a lot of people together in a space, you know, in a, in a space yet. Um, you know, hopefully soon we'll be there, but um, but to have the performers responding to each other at least kind of got some of that. dynamic
2: back. Yeah, which has been a fascinating part of live television all year, the lack of audiences, including sports and, you know, mm-hmm. sports ratings have all just been, been really low Yeah. and not having an audience there to kind of vicariously live through creates right. an impact when you're a half, you know, empty stadium and there's a spectacular play, you're used to hearing this like huge yeah. sound, you know, again, a big pop. And when you don't have that, it sort of feels like it wasn't as good because it didn't sound as good. Yeah.
0: That artificial uh, crowd noise doesn't do it. It doesn't <laughs>
2: no. work as well. No, especially uh, the, uh, like early on, maybe it was baseball I was listening to, and they just weren't doing a good job of modulating when the crowd was mm-hmm. cheering. And so there'd be like something that wasn't going on and the cl- crowd would get louder. And then something that did go on and the crowd wouldn't get louder. And it was yeah. just, it completely creates this dissonant experience that then the visuals don't work either. And It right. you know, shows the power of of sound so much. We've got a um, a sound designer, professor named Jeff Spoonhauer, and he's like half the, half of what you're watching is sound. Don't mm-hmm. ignore the of sound course. part, and it's completely what's yeah. happening. I think with with live TV.
0: Have you been? Wa- I mean, I assume you've been watching baseball this year because I know you're a baseball
2: fan. A little bit. Yeah. The problem is um, the Cubs are bad, and I just they're, <laughs> they're my team, and they you know they can't get a hit. So. Yeah. <laughs> I have watched a little bit.
0: Yeah, but I mean just in terms of the like what I've been watching a bit. I mean certainly in the first the, the first week I was just kind of fascinated and 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 some for some reason I through my cable subscription I got like every game
2: was available
0: mm. for like a free trial for a week and I guess it's to try to sell you on that package. But the games I would watch I was surprised at the level of crowd noise even though you know, and I didn't watch the games from Texas. Saying, were you watching the Rangers? <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, in stadiums where it was much more limited capacity, they seem to—I don't know if they're just amping up, you know, the the sound, you know, like the sound recording of the crowd or whatever. But it feels very full. Mm-hmm. It feels as full as it would have. Like I think of you know, I mean, I grew up a Red Sox fan, thinking of watching like a Sunday matinee, you know, afternoon mm-hmm. game, and uh, it being like dead. You know, you, you you would feel the deadness of the crowd. Certain games, and now that's uh, that you know, that live crowd. You're right, I mean, the live crowd experience is really kind of essential to that.
1: And it's interesting how, in like different sports, how they'll use that to make a narrative like, oh, there are less upsets happening in tennis because there isn't the crowd to really get under the underdog, and right. it allows you know, favorite players to just kind of roll through. Uh, but then in basketball, oh, they're not intimidated by the crowd. <laughs> and so the underdogs are winning this year, and yeah. it's just it's fitting whatever story they want to tell. And I can see that also people saying, like, oh, well, we watched this year alone, so that's why we ended up with these kinds of films as mm-hmm. respected. And it's like, I think, I don't know. I think it probably would have been pretty similar yeah. had audiences like the audiences getting together to watch. Um, hillbilly elegy <laughs> <One of> them, <laughs> one of, like fired him yeah. up, yeah, and like uh you know waving their Kentucky flags and,
2: like well, and especially I think they're like the kind of film that benefits from exactly what you're talking about just wasn't there, so you can't say that you know it you know they're absent because you know it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like we didn't have a chance to have those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and so of course they w- they couldn't have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, so like, let's, let's assume, let's assume, you know, the, the last Wonder Woman movie mm. was, was good, which it wasn't. I haven't seen it, so <laughs>
2: will let that
0: go. It was, you know, it was, it was, that was, that I mean, I think that was supposed to be kind of a big, I mean, that wasn't necessarily supposed to be an Oscar winner, um, but it was supposed to be kind of a big crowd pleaser and you are supposed to have this kind of enthusiastic response and it and it just it just fell flat and mm-hmm. and and how much of it that was even more compromised by the fact that you know people seeing it it was primarily limited i mean it was in theaters but most people saw it on hbo max um mm-hmm. so i
1: don't know or tenant where like that potentially could have had like this patina of respect to it um i mean i watched it at home i don't know i didn't, like it took me 6 like, settings, like, I just kept turning it off after 12 minutes. Yeah. So maybe being locked into a chair <laughs> would have made me, like, like it. You, well, you would have gotten through it. <laughs> right, right. And I did finish it, and, you know. But, I, I mean, I just, I don't think that it's going to make the quality or the appreciation or the, you know, just how these land uh, with audiences that significantly different.
0: So have you guys been have, have you guys been keeping up with what's been nominated this year? I mean have you been able to see much of what's out there in terms of the nominees?
2: No, I was gonna when you asked me to come on here I was gonna say, do you know I haven't seen any I've seen four <laughs> four of them so I've seen four and and like a fifth I was in the room for but or the um, be-
0: of the best picture nominees
2: Yeah, um okay. so I've seen the Father Judas and the Black Messiah um trial of Chicago seven. Oh, wait, so yeah, I've only seen three of them. <laughs> but out of the other one, I've seen One Night in Miami, so that... Um, mm-hmm. Or no, no, that was the one I was in the room for, but I mm-hmm. didn't watch it. Um, I swear there was a fourth on here somewhere that I've seen.
0: Did you see Mank, or have you seen-
2: No, I didn't see Mank. Uh, yeah. And that would be kind of a no-brainer for me to watch, because I'm a film scholar, Citizen Kane's an incredible film, Yeah. and I just didn't care. Yeah,
0: yeah, didn't that's... Care. Well, that was... Why I was in the room for Mank, and... I left the room. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I just kind of couldn't engage. I was also there was other like my kids were watching it surprisingly, um, and I just couldn't get into it. I just and, and even trying to, I just the way it it played around with it plays around with uh, its timeline in terms of the you know the events that are unfolding. You know, some of the some of the events are in like the early '30s, and then some of it's later than that. And I just didn't have the patience to even try to sort through that. You know, it just kind of.
1: I just, I just lost interest. So Mank was my like return to a cinema. It was after oh, wow. the students left, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go watch this in the Browning Cinema, Uh, you know." And that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> and you know, a movie about movies seems mm-hmm. like a good way to return. Yeah. And it's pretty and. I mean I was really excited to be there and doing it but it was not great. <laughs> it really was yeah. it was a slog. Um, and even when I mean it was it's it's so overridden I would mm-hmm. say like it feels more Sorkin-y than the Sorkin film <laughs> which is a real effort. <laughs> um, but you
0: got to think that those films would have still been in the mix even even if even with yeah. more you know if there were more films
2: in competition.
0: They just seem designed for that.
2: A Trial of Chicago 7 is Oscar bait. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah. So. um, What ones have you seen, Ted? I've seen. So let's see. I've seen. I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, which I actually liked. Um, You know, not a perfect film, but I thought relative to a lot of the other. It's it's a you know it's mostly the Netflix and the you know Amazon is it Amazon Prime where things are ended yeah a lot of stuffs ending up on Amazon Prime um, the, a lot of that stuff just has not hit with me very well this I saw this on HBO Max and um, and actually made it a point to see it you know because it was it had a limited window when it was available and I thought it was I thought it was solid um, I thought you know again it's a little bit confused in terms of how it's being positioned for the. Uh, for the Oscars, because of the two lead actors, who I guess are they both nominated for best supporting actor yes mm-hmm. um, which is which doesn't make sense because then who's the lead um, in that film um I mean I think they're co-leads but they just but there's you know strategy i guess around winning the awards um so I watched that uh, and i watched um and I watched nomad land <clears throat> um uh, also you know again, also on hulu i've not seen anything in a theater other than, you know, just, I mean, nothing that's nominated for the Oscars. I haven't seen anything uh, in a a theater uh, in a long time. So, uh, yeah.
2: The other one that, um, you know, I was trying to remember which of the four I knew I'd seen. So Another Round is one of them. Mm -hmm. And that I did see in the Browning Cinema for Film Society. And there's an ending scene. I won't spoil it. Um, But there's an ending scene, I'll just say, of you know a character dancing around in a cel- celebratory fashion with a, a group of people and i literally started crying during it cuz it was you know this <laughs> was i we saw it back in maybe february and and already you know february it's dark and cold and yeah. so that like the february of the pandemic like really struggling and so the scene where the main character mads mickelson is played by him is just gloriously dancing in a crowd with a bunch of people it got to me. Yeah. It was That was a powerful moment.
0: So I think we've all seen that. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah, so mm-hmm. maybe we can talk. Because that was one, when I, I watched it in part, I mean, I watched it, I was prompted to watch it because of the Oscar nominations. And, you know, the the uh, foreign language, or inter, they've changed the, the category, international feature film, uh, which is more appropriate, um, you know, was nominated for that. But then the best director nomination totally surprised me. And after having watched it, I'm still very, I, I still have no idea how it made it into that, <laughs> that group. Um, I, I was, I was pretty critical of the film after I first saw it. And it's, and it's a film that's kind of grown on me in good ways. Uh, maybe just through, you know, talking it through with people. But um, I just, I, I, I was struggling with it because I was, I guess I was wanting it to be either like purely satirical or, kind of full-on melodrama and it's in this weird in-between space. <laughs> I feel like that I just couldn't I was I was kind of puzzled by it. But but Ricky, you were a fan,
1: right? I like the tone a lot. Yeah. Um I don't like some of his earlier stuff. But I do like Dear Wendy mm-hmm. a lot. And this was much closer to Dear Wendy than like the dogma stuff. And even though it was kind of dogma-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I do think the directing comes from kind of the tribulation the trials of, of like making the film uh for the director so i think the because he lost a child right before it started i mm-hmm. think that narrative probably soaked into some people um and he's not that like aggressively brechtian other mm-hmm. than like with the blood alcohol value right Like,
0: <laughs> well that's and that's i guess i was looking for maybe i was thinking it was going to have more of that and, and yeah and it didn't was which again so then it gets balanced with these kind of really you know tender overwrought sounds too you know judgmental but you know just these very emotional moments with you know the sort of the family where the family dynamics come into play for the characters um yeah so but but again i've i it's a film that i was i was puzzled watching it but it's it's kind of stayed with me and I keep thinking about it, which is more than I can say about most of the things. Nominated.
1: Yeah, I was also somewhat relieved. So I went on a date to see The Hunt, which is another <laughs> oh, one wow. of those movies that has much darker themes. Yeah. Um, what was The Hunt about? I'm tra- I'm tra- the Hunt is about um, ac- um, sexual abuse accusations that okay. are made right. leveled right. at somebody. Yeah. And, and it's it, Mads Mickelson. Yeah, there's-, there's no dancing at the end, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so to have a have levity, I was I was fine with that. Yeah,
0: I um, will say. I mean, if there was going to be a surprise nomination out of this film, I would think Mads Mikkelsen should have been nominated for Best Actor because he is like he's at the center of this, and he's yeah. he's great. Uh, throughout it. Um, so yeah, so um, in Ricky Best Picture, you've seen some,
2: mm, some?
1: yeah, not many. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I missed the father when you. Screened at Chris. I saw Mank. I'm gonna see Minari this weekend. Haven't seen No Man Land. Promise Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and I can't finish the Child's <laughs> Gambino. That's I,
0: another one that was in the. I was in the room for parts of it, and just I couldn't take too much.
1: Right, I did. It did make me watch like two days later. Medium Cool.
0: Yeah, uh, like, yes. Oh, well,
1: I'll just go watch that. <laughs> i would say, you know, actually the,
0: the thing, the, the one that, um, I would say is the kind of more recent, you know, point of comparison that I feel is much more successful is, um, my, one of my favorite things I've watched during, um, quarantine is the small Axe series mm. by, from mm-hmm. Steve McQueen and, um, mangrove, which is the, you know, kind of deals with a similar type of trial, uh, in, um, in London. I think they're in London. um, in the seventies, uh, cap, just much more effective, I think as a, you know, kind of agit prop courtroom drama piece. It just works. It works incredibly well. Um, so
1: I would recommend that. Did you, did you bring that up when you screened
0: Babylon for your, your class? I did ref, I did say, you know, that there's, cause there's reference, there's, I mean, the whole series, mm-hmm. the, um, what's his name? Uh, Dennis Bovell, who did the, who did the score. The music, cap. Um, yeah. yeah. So his, uh, his what's the what's the point of there's a point of reference to uh, his music oh his music is in is in Lovers Rock I think is was one of the points of connection and then the 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 um, Alex Weedle um, is that's about the Brixton riots in 1981 which is right after uh, Babylon Babylon's a great film that's that uh, from 1980 that um, was kind of disappeared never released in the U.S. And was just released in 2019.
1: Highly recommended uh, if you have a way to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not a lot. And I mean, it's and for a while, I also the twenty dollars price point mm. when yeah. it's just for me, you know, I'm like ah no. <laughs> and but now I'm at the point where it's like a six dollars price point. And I'm still like I don't know, <laughs> but I'll like rent like I don't know the Dream Warriors for like, like a Freddy movie for like $2.99. <laughs> $2. <laughs> and I'll be like, well, that's money well spent, but $6 that's for the for soundtrack. A, for a Sound <laughs> of Metal, why I never? It's all relative. <laughs> right. Um, but it is, it's is—it's that, like, like a dutiful watch, which mm-hmm. the Oscars often turn into. And, you know, I have to do for my job, either like going to festivals or like, oh, we're going to screen this, so I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. When you remove that I see. Really, it's a stick and not a carrot. Like the energy for some of these is just—I don't
2: know. Yeah,
1: hard, hard to generate.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what another—you know—you'd give us some prompts beforehand to think about, and you know, what are some forgettable nominees? And I sort of feel like all of them. Like, <laughs> and I don't mean to be mean to any of these films, yeah. and like the father was really very good. I was and, curious
0: what you thought because that's—it's got your—it's got your girl. Yes, yeah,
2: so I'm obsessed with Olivia Coleman and she's great <laughs> in it. She's incredible. Um, and it is very good, but I also, you know, it was billed as this film which will, you know, just take you into the subjectivity, this man suffering from dementia. And I totally get that. And yet I wanted it to be even more radical and weird, and, mm-hmm. and just kind of re- I really wanted it to dislocate my sensibilities, and it didn't. Yeah. It does like the the safe Oscar version of something like that, which is nice. It's you know, I enjoyed watching it. Anthony Hopkins is incredible, Olivia Coleman is incredible, and yet you know, I wanted more, I wanted different, I wanted more dislocated. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you could see that, I mean, and that seems to be kind of the the prestige British film that would typically mm-hmm. make it into the mix. Um, certainly with that cast alone is, is, you know, a way that it would be considered. But um, that's why I was curious to hear your response to it. Cause
2: it's definitely if, worth watching. Yeah, okay. But I, you know, maybe I, I hype myself. You know, I expect a lot from my Olivia Coleman entertainment. Yeah, so.
0: well, also in another film that makes sense this year because it's so interior, right? Because yeah, there, we're all you know just more people stuck inside. Yeah. Um uh you
1: yeah. know and with when you're saying forgettable chris it's really I'm wondering, you know like the like the glass cliff like phenomenon where you know women are brought in as CEOs as the business is about to fail. I wonder sometimes like with now the diversification of the Oscars is it like well this sink, this like ship is sinking so now will change Mm. and like you know it's it's funny that it's the most forgettable year but it's i don't know if it's the most diverse year but it's certainly a very diverse year Mm -hmm. and those two in combo i don't know if we'll make a lot out of it or you know next year they will come back and it will be the same way but it's funny that it's it's down year is also the year where they finally do get some substantial changes in terms of right uh, race and age in some of the categories and,
0: and legitimate nominees. I mean, I think, you yeah. know, the ones that are favored right now, I think are all, I mean, for the most part are, are pretty deserving in terms of, you know, the category, you know, Land is favored to win. I think relative to this group of films, it's probably the film, you know, that, that I, I guess it's the film I would vote for. Again, I haven't seen everything. Um, but you know, there's nothing else that that I that I feel that strongly about. So, so perfect. You know, let let's you know let's have Nomadland win this year. Um, but um, and I think even in and then in the acting categories, um, you know, the actors who are kind of favored. Um, you know, Daniel Kaluuya is supposed to. He's he seems to be pretty locked in for best supporting actor. Chadwick Boseman hard to beat a posthumous <laughs> win in that category. Um, but he's actually in that film. Uh, is in my opinion an utter mess, but he's actually kind of he's the most compelling thing in it. So you know, give him props for that. Um, the best actress category, I have no idea where that's going to go because I've seen the the sort of precursors to the Oscars. They've been all over the place. There hasn't been any kind of consistency in terms of who won it. Um, the one that I did see in, in that category was I did I saw the um, the Billie Holiday movie, which is not very good. Um, but that performance in it is extremely Oscar-y, you know, it's just like she's, you know, she puts herself out there in ways that, I, I assume she's going to win because it just kind of, in the traditional mindset of who wins an Oscar, it's that kind of performance where an actress puts herself through the ringer Hmm. to, um, you know, to get that, to get that recognition, but who knows, uh, who knows how that's going to play, so, um, are there any are there any films that did make it into the mix that we're kind of maybe kind of rooting for? Is it, or is it because we're kind of seeing them as largely forgettable that it's just, nothing's really kind of standing out? Um, I liked Collective, um, which is actually a dual nominee. It's nominated for uh, Best Documentary and Best um, International Film. And this is, so the story behind this is really interesting. It's about, it kind of, it takes place, it's set in Romania and it's a follow-up to events where there was a fire at a nightclub, um, which was very tragic. Um, you know, something like 30 people were killed. Um, but, but many more suffered uh, serious burns. Um, and basically that, uh, that event instigates a uh, kind of an investigation of um, the hospital system uh, within Romania, which is found to be incredibly corrupt in the conditions that people are Uh, You know, for specifically for burn victims are just uh, you know unimaginable. There's some pretty harrowing footage, Um, but it focuses uh, primarily on uh, the reporters who broke the story um, and actually investigated the case for you know quite some time. And Chris, you pointed out that these were sports reporters. You had heard yeah,
2: I'd heard a podcast interview with maybe the producer, the director, or something like that. And so yeah, like your average you know political reporter or, or. Cultural reporter wasn't given access and they're not, they're used to not being able to, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of because of press reception, uh, repression, they're not used to being able to actually investigate things, but sports reporters are getting given a little more free reign, yeah. um, because that realm scene is seen as well, that's not serious. That's fun. That's sports. That's entertainment. Yeah. And that they were the ones who actually then started to pick up on the story because they knew techniques of investigation that standard reporters didn't. Yeah.
1: The Romanian um, Chris Berman is doing, right. <laughs> saving us all. Pretty mind-blowing. I think the less Chris Berman, the better.
0: But anyway, the um, uh, but th- this is a really, I mean, part of what's fascinating about this film is that, it, you know, it starts from this incident, and then it just goes off into all of these other, the side stories that kind of come out of it are just are really fascinating. It ends up being about, uh, you know, in the sort of the third act of the film, about the election You know, for the government that's going to appoint the sort of key figures in the health commissions, you know, that would that would be responsible for, you know, providing resources to to address these issues. Um, And one of the things that stands out, you know, and after watching that you see when you see the election results, the turnout is just um, absolutely terrible among particularly among young people who should be, you know, in in light of these events that have happened, you would think they would be the ones that would be motivated to vote. But uh, not the case. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that gets you know it's got two shots uh, for recognition. I don't know if it'll win either category, but but nothing else really standing out, I
1: guess, in terms of the nominees. No, and the the short films like I generally will watch those every year. Yeah, and I don't believe I've seen one. Maybe may, if, if I saw an animated short before something, but nothing rings a bell. Yeah. And. Yeah, I think unfortunately for these uh they're, they they they're popular when they're screened and they have a life and they get out there, but that program's just not going to be seen by people really. Yeah. So
0: you I mean you think that the oh you mean the the shorts program won't be seen,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm already jumping ahead to thinking about the 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 Oscar program itself. I mean, oh, you know, what is, you know, because again, you know, what is we've already, we've talked kind of about what the what they've said the ceremony is going to be, but I'm just curious if, you know, People, is it going to be kind of priority viewing for people this year, or is it, or is this lack of momentum really? Are
1: they going to see a pretty
0: big drop in ratings? And um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to
1: expect. May, or I can also see something where, when you said like, Twitter was all about, you know, Twitter was actively engaged in the Grammys and giving good feedback. If people, because they are watching alone and it's boring, will be more like active online. So maybe we'll get more conversation. This is a real, like, silver lining, potentially. but
2: Well, that's what, even with that Twitter activity, the Grammys' ratings were still down, like, 50%, you know? So I right. think it's just inevitable. There's just no question. Like, the, the surprise, like, the biggest surprise of Oscar night would be if the ratings are okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just seems true. inevitable.
0: I just hope they make it shorter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, this is maybe one of the benefits of this. We were talking about this, Ricky, where, you know, maybe they go back to just reading off, you know, a list of, a list of winners instead of instead of all the pomp and circumstance
1: which would be I you know in some ways that would be neat because well I guess no I'd take it back that would <laughs> that would not be fun <laughs> that would just be that would be worse of a worse situation I think yeah. you still want
0: the craziness of the ceremony
1: um
0: so are there any things you know that that weren't nominated that uh you know if I, I guess one of the questions i I put out to you guys. Uh, when we're getting ready to do this, is if you could give an Oscar to any recent film, or you know, since the rules have been thrown out, let's throw in television. Uh, <laughs> you know, what would you, what would give you, what would you give an award to? Is there anything that you've, you know, you've seen in this past year of isolation? And um, this is our patented top,
1: top one segment.
2: One. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you. You open it up to TV show because I don't know that I would have had a film. Yeah. Um But uh, TV show and and this one I I'll work this in in relevance into awards because it got snubbed by the Golden Globes. Okay. Uh, and that's a TV show called I May Destroy You on HBO, which mm-hmm. was the best TV show I saw. And it was a British show, so I mean, HBO picked it up. Um yeah. But um, best TV show I saw last year, one that sticks with me, the ending episode will stick with me for as long as I teach television for the rest of my life. Oh, wow. Really incredible show and didn't get a single Golden Globe nod for anything. Mm-hmm. So I would give it an Oscar of some sort.
0: Is it, um, is it a limited series where it's just one season?
2: Yeah, okay. one season, uh, 10 episodes, I think, 12, perhaps. Okay. 12 sounds right. Um, and so, yeah, limited series. And so there won't be a season two. Um, okay. And it ends just in this really incredible way that makes you think through the entirety. It's it's a, a narrative about sexual assault, the creator of it. Um Who, if I keep talking, I might remember her name, and I feel terrible that I can't remember her name. I know. But I've just just told her it's like one of the greatest shows ever, so that's hopefully good enough. Yeah. But um, she herself was a victim of of sexual assault, and so it's interrogating some of the things she she went through, and the notion of trauma, and how to recover from that kind of experience, and how to deal with uh, feelings of, um, you know, anger. And, and lashing out and how to, you know, recover from that kind of trauma. And so the narrative itself takes you through some of that. And then the final episode in particular does this really incredible um, narrative um, trick of sorts mm-hmm. um, that just really flabbergasted me. And, and um, again, kind of makes you think through the whole journey to get there. And, and it's, you know, beautifully acted by her and um, her um, the other people in it. And it's, you know, great writing. It's excellent. Michaela Cole. Thank you. I apologize, Michaela Cole, that I couldn't remember that. That's okay. okay. Ricky, how
0: about you? Anything recent that you're...
1: Yeah, I there would be... Well, I'll I'll cheat a little bit. Because one film that conceivably during this odd year could have snuck in uh, that I really liked is First Cow. Mm. (laughs) Although First Cow... By some maybe it wasn't eligible i don 't know, but it 's up for i think it was because it was theatrically i mean it,
0: it i guess it kind of came out in the year before, but then theatrical release pre- like just as covid broke
1: out it's right and it children. was nominated for you know other more like independently type awards mm-hmm. uh but it's great um and i don't know what I would necessarily swap out for it um but uh, it's just a really well done film. If you've seen Kelly Rikert's films, it's, it's more of the same, but it's great. (laughs) And it's a period piece, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, You know, I think roughly 200 years ago Mm -hmm. uh, and just very slowly uh, adapts this book and tells a sliver of it uh, to talk about why um, business growth maybe may not be a great thing. And, uh, it's really well done. Uh, but one film I will... I, so that would be my domestic one. If there were a foreign language film that I'm going to get behind, uh, Pietro Marcello's new film, Martin Eden... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Is amazing. I love it. He adapted a Jack London story and sets it in Italy, and it's very chronologically ambiguous. Uh, but it's... Uh, Just a a very well done story. And actually could be in some ways kind of an epic. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. That could have like fit into some Oscar models. Uh, But generally, other than finding itself on critics lists uh, at the end of the year, and not that many, I don't think, um, uh, it didn't get a lot of hype over here but yeah. it's amazing and it used to be online and then left and i'm sure you can find it somehow. it was uh,
0: was it Italy's submission for the oscars? Do I don't you know? think
1: so. No. Okay. No, i think yeah. that Sophia Loren one, right? Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I do not know. Which but, has
0: a which is nominated for um best song.
1: Mm, there so you go. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh but but it is it's very worthwhile and I think it would be, well, we'll show it in the fall. So come to the Browning Cinema. So I already dropped a reference to um, Small Axe, which was what I was going to
0: pick for this. But, so go watch Small Axe if you can. It's on Amazon Prime.
1: <laughs> of um, the various Small Axes, like if someone yeah. doesn't want to watch The Big Axe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Lover's Rock is the one that's getting the most, um, you know, the most attention. It's hard to choose actually i think I think it's pretty solid all the way through I mean because I had this impression that like oh there's there's going to be like one or two really good ones, and it's i I think it make the commitment and watch all five of them um, i think it's I think it's totally worth it so i don't even I don't even want to preference um you know one over the other because um, I'm thinking like you know the last one uh which I think it's called education um you know, that was the one I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of the throwaway just to kind of get you through. And that one is like, that one has resonated with me um, really strongly. And it's, they're not subtle, like there, there's a kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of call to action in a lot of these pieces. And so they're not very subtle in terms of how they talk about, you know, the conditions that largely West Indian immigrants in London are facing in the late 70s and early uh, the, the added benefit to having that as a subject is you get really great music throughout the whole series. <laughs> right. Because it's period and, you know, just the, you know, what what you know, that immigrant community would be listening to. And really. I
2: have heard they, they accrue thematically, so they might not be, like, they're each telling a different story, yeah. but um, I've heard, you know, people who love it say you, you do need to watch them all if you want to get the full benefit of what he's trying to do and stitching together one to the next.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, it, I think it is. It's it is, it does feel cumulative. know they you can see you can definitely watch them as individual kind of very disparate experiences but then yeah it's nice it's nice to see it all together in part because of you know period and you know there there is some there's some overlap i think between them um so okay so then i was hoping and i'll just end on a boring note or at least boring for people (laughs) who know me uh which is the um you know the the one film which i actually thought was finally going to get uh An Oscar nomination for uh, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Fred Wiseman, is his uh, new documentary, City Hall, uh, which is about uh, Boston City Hall, uh, which if you've you've never seen Boston City Hall, it's one of the ugliest buildings uh, (laughs) ever constructed. It's this brutalist architecture that just, you know, it seems like a folly in terms of how it was constructed. But it's not really about the building. It gets more into just kind of the infrastructure that's in place within the city to, to make stuff work. And, um, it's, it's kind of an optimistic view of government, uh, kind of doing things and making things happen. It's not uncritical. I mean, there's definitely, you know, you see Boston has a, has a storied history with, you know, racial division or racial, I shouldn't even say, I should say exclusion. It's really, you know, it's, there's been a lot of kind of racial erasure within Boston, an attempt to just only focus on the concerns of of white residents. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, front and center in the film in terms of how the city's trying to address, um, racial, racial equity, uh, which is a big challenge in a place like Boston that's old and, uh, much like Notre Dame bound by traditions. And, uh, uh but you just see, you know, you see kind of in, in typical Fred Weisman form, you know, you see these long conversations over, you know, public policies and that's, equally as fascinating as watching um a group of sanitation workers out on their route for the day and the best maybe one of the best scenes in the film in a film that you'll see all year is when they pick up uh somebody's gas grill and throw it into the back of the of the trash truck and and compress it into the trash truck you could watch that film. <laughs> great.
1: Is this i um uh, what's the runtime on city hall uh i think it's four hours okay mm. Got it. And I got through
0: and 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 it's, I mean, I know, like, you know, people are going to say, yeah, sure, but it goes by. I mean, I, it moves. Like, it definitely, when you settle into it, I I was texting with a family member about it, and she was like, are you serious? You're going to make me watch this for four hours? And, uh, and she's like, we're really having trouble. But then once she got into it, you kind of get into a groove, which is, you know, Fred Weisman's longer films. I typically, you mentioned film festivals. That's usually my place to see them because at a film festival, I can kind of take out, you know, the world and its distractions. Interestingly, I, this was on PBS. Uh, it was it was available on P, the PBS app over Christmas, and Christmas was nice and quiet this year. We didn't travel. We didn't. We just didn't have as much to do. So I was able to just zone in one day during our extended Christmas holiday and just, uh, I watched it in two sittings so I can't take full credit
1: Yeah, just keep that looping in the background, and then you've, like, visited Boston. You didn't have to go for (laughs) Christmas.
0: It it did make me homesick. It did make me very
2: homesick. I would say, yeah, listeners out there, if you've got a four-hour window, then either Fred Wiseman City Hall or Zack Snyder's Justice League. So there's a pretty good good range of...
0: (laughs) Did you ever watch it? Have you watched it? Because I know you missed the screening with
1: students. Yeah, so Chris was conveniently gone that (laughs) week. (laughs) That it screened in uh, film society. But I picked up the slack. And I, yeah, I didn't, I can't say I watched. It was one of those, I was in the room for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I, I ultimately, like two hours in, I was like, I guess I'm going to have to Google like what the differences were because I don't know or care. But then when I was like, oh, they actually changed the face of this, like, bad guy or whatever for the entire movie I was like well that's interesting mm-hmm. um, so that was a weird way to have to care
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Be like oh tell me the differences and now I'll imagine them so it was it was just a lot it was a lot <laughs> it felt like it actually felt like a TV show mm-hmm. where I was like oh I'm just kind of sitting here and binging on like really empty calories so it
2: fit hey that's not nice to say about TV
1: I, well, this, this would be this kind of empty thing. calories if it were TV. There's plenty of empty calorie movies out
2: there. So. Well, and then to Small Axe, too, that's been part of that interesting debate about that and, like, Relative to the Globes and so forth is, you know, is it a film or is it a TV show? And it's, right. like, episodes, but he's, you know, Steve McQueen says it's a movie, and, you know, he has a, a, you know, I think he's got a pretty comprehensive logic for that, not just because, like, oh, it's good, so it's a movie, not yeah. a TV show.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I wonder, like, what, if that had been available theatrically, this past year, what would we have tried to do all five? I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, for a venue like ours where it's hard to schedule something like that. I don't
1: know it would have worked. fit really nicely, though, as a series. Like a series. As a, like, if, you, if you were able to do it as a weekly series. Yeah, a five week yeah. run.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there sh- and there sh- and some of them are pretty short. I mean, they're like just over an hour. Um, mm-hmm. I forget the, the very, like one, I think it might be the Mangrove trial that's, you know, which is called Mangrove. Um, that's, I think that might be like closer to two hours, but the other, some of the other ones are like 65 minutes. So it's, Mm -hmm. so it's digestible, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of length. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the justice, I mean, I was curious about justice league is, you know, I I watched it actually all in one sitting with, with my son who was, who was eager to watch it, but, but also eager to criticize (laughs) it (laughs) going into it. So uh he just but he knew you know based on his interest he he really wanted to see it so we sat and watched it the i think the night or a couple of nights after it got loaded up to hbo max
1: and i would say what was interesting it was about it and why i was saying this is kind of like binging tv was it wasn't filler you know like sometimes you have 3 hour movies that are just bloated mm-hmm. and it wasn't bloated it was just a lot of, a lot of, I don't care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which doesn't get you very far. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, all right. Well, that's um, that's kind of the state of things uh, with the Oscars and uh, with all of us. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for thank you for having me. made it nice. so much better. It made it, it inspired us to get to get back on our horse and get this <laughs> and get back to the rodeo. If I can push that analogy further than I should. Um, so, thank you again, um, and Ricky, great to see you. Likewise. Uh, hopefully, uh, we will be back soon with uh, more episodes of Establishing Shot.